I had my own late night talk show on Dutch television for two years. And if that was not fortuitous enough, when that ended, the same network let me be a presenter on a travel program. I got to do a highlight on St. Petersburg, Russia, the Champagne region of France. I went to Peru. And my Dutch TV producers told me that if I got certified diving while I was in Thailand, on my next assignment, they would send me to the Caribbean. They told me to go to this resort on Koh PP and the PP Islands, four hours out into the Bay of Bengal, these beautiful, stunning islands. So I went to sign up for this five-day diving class. It was run by this guy named Philippe from Montpellier, France. He had all these jailhouse homemade tattoos up and down his overly tanned leather skin and a yellow Speedo on that revealed a little too much. And he had a rat ponytail. And you could smell the criminal past on this guy. There was a a reason why he was hiding out in the islands of Thailand. And he was the diving instructor. So on the morning of my first dive, I sat with a very hungover Philippe. And he went through the hand signals. Doing a motion across your throat. This means I cannot breathe. And then a fist on the chest. And this means I have a love of air. A love of air? Okay, what the guy was trying to say is this means I am low of air. The place wasn't very professional, if you know what I'm saying. And he keeps yelling at me about buoyancy and learning buoyancy. Professional divers uh, never use their hands. You've got on your vest two buttons, one to increase the air or decrease the air, and then you can stay perfectly horizontal, and that is buoyancy, the perfect balance of perfect measures. So you're paired up into twos. You have your diving buddy, and you're constantly checking on your buddy. Are you okay, buddy? So the diving class was this British couple from London, Mark and Mara. And they had lived in Paris for five years, and they spoke fluent French. And then the other person in the class was this very attractive French girl, Helene, from Bordeaux. And oh my God, I fell completely head over heels in love with this girl. She was cute, and I'm like, this is so perfect. She's going to be my buddy. We're going to fall in love. And I'm just picturing a, a life in the future living in Bordeaux. Then we drive to the coast and throw tennis balls to our shaggy dog and kiss in the sea air but as it turned out Philippe also had a crush on Helene and his underwater flirting was outrageous we'd go down and every day he would push me aside he'd put his arm around her and he's showing her pretty plankton and plants and I was left back by myself 20-30 feet behind everybody just going as slow as I possibly could but it was absolutely stunning school of hundreds of silver fish that went over my head and I'll never forget how beautiful that was So every day we dive, and in the afternoons we would stop on some little secluded beach and have lunch. And this was my one chance to talk to Helene and be charming and funny. And Helene once was pulling her bottoms out of her bottom, and I said to her, Hey, are you going to the movies? And she said, Movies? And I said, Yeah, I saw you picking your seat. It's a third grade classic. But she had never heard it. And she laughed and thought it was hilarious. Uh, And Philippe was not pleased at all that I was making any inroads. 
Like the typical alpha male silverback gorilla, any chance he got, he would put me down and insult me. We had all talked during lunch and said what we did for a living and our jobs. He keeps calling me Mr. Television. Is this good enough for you, Mr. Television? Please, Mr. Television, with the equipment. And over the course of three or four days, you know, things are starting to get pretty tense between he and I. On the morning that I almost died, he really was pushing it too far. Uh, he was saying something to me, and I said, Listen, Philippe, I have to tell you, man, you're making me feel uncomfortable. I have to trust you out there. And he goes, Oh, Mr. American, have I hurt your feelings? Maybe the Al-Qaeda has asked me to leave your body in the ocean today. And Mark from London lost his mind. He stood up in the boat and he goes, You are out of order, sir. We finally arrived after all this argument and tension to our diving spot. One person couldn't go diving that day. One of the tanks was bad. And then the Thai boat captain had hit the tank with a hammer or a shoe or something. And then it was decided that everybody could go diving, that everything was fine. In retrospect, it was Russian roulette with the tanks, and I got the bad one. So we go down into the ocean, and just like every other day, Philippe pushes me aside and takes Helene, and I'm left way off in the back behind everybody. And we're down there, and all of a sudden, I start breathing in water. Apparently there was a problem with one of the O-rings and water's getting in the tubes. And I've done this, this is the fifth day now. I'm familiar with the equipment. If you get water in your mouth, you just push this button in front of your mouth and it shoots out the sides. But I'm hitting this button and nothing's happening. And then I grab my spare respirator, I'm hitting the thing, and it's the same thing. I'm breathing in water and your lungs don't want water. I'm in a panic, and I look up to the top, to the surface. Anybody who knows anything about diving, it's the most dangerous thing in the world to shoot straight up to the top. You can get the bends, and it affects your blood, and you have to be in decompression chambers for days. I'm not exactly sure what happens, but it isn't pretty, and I knew you're not supposed to do that. So I look, and Philippe is about 25, 30 feet in front of me, and I swim as fast as I can to this guy. And I grabbed his little rat ponytail and I spun him around. And who'd have thought I ever would have got to use the I cannot breathe signal. And Philippe looked me right in the eyes. And he grabbed his spare respirator and he really seemed to be taking his sweet, slow time getting it to my mouth. By the time it got to my mouth, I had held my breath for so long. By the time it hit my mouth, I went... I can't even recreate the sound. It was this death bark that came out of my lower intestines. It was this sound of somebody dying, and it came out of me. And I really thought this was the last moment of my life, watching little bubbles go up in front of this scumbag's face. He glided me to the top, and I survived. And then later, when we got back to shore, he invited me to go walk into the village and have a beer with him. And he's being really nice to me. I don't know if he felt bad about the situation or maybe he was just trying to cover his butt in case he got in trouble. He showed me a picture of the wife and child that he abandoned back in France. And we're talking and he said, well, that was very scary today. And I said, listen, Philippe, I just want you to know that today I learned the meaning of true buoyancy. Because when you said that thing this morning about Al-Qaeda, I wanted you to die. I wanted you dead 
right then, at that moment. And then later that afternoon, you saved my life, and all is forgiven. And that is true buoyancy, the perfect balance of perfect measures. The ocean levels are rising. The glaciers are melting. You know what that means? Everything's going swimmingly. Tom Rhodes, he's an American comedian, actor, host, and travel writer. We'll have a link to the world of Tom Rhodes and his one-man comedy special at snapjudgment.org. That piece was produced by Jamie DeWolf and Renzo Gorio. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.